Uh, right, hang on, hang on. Firstly, Ozzy, have you seen the crow? No, have I? Well, you'd be a great judge. <laughs> <laughs> You're, You're in, Ozzy. Brilliant. You're in. <laughs> Honestly, the Ozzy, I was half expecting you to pitch up and be like, yeah, I mean, the first couple of seasons were all right, but season six with Prince Charles, yeah. I just wasn't sure of that. <laughs> And welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And this week we kickstart a new season, and you are in for a treat because we're not putting just one film, we're not putting three films. But we're putting two films of Michael Wincott <laughs> on trial. <laughs> Who the hell is Michael this, Wincott? This is... You might ask. And our response would be, how fucking dare you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not even happy we're only doing two films. I, th- I think this should be we, a, a six-film season think, or seven. I think we're going to be able to squeeze a few more films in under the radar with Michael <laughs> Wincott. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll just link it to something else. This is yeah. This is his year. This, this is Throughout 2023, <laughs> yes. we're going to just sprinkle Michael Got Wincott. The, Wincott the year of Wincott. Now, Ma- Michael Wincott, born Michael Wincott, is one of the most recognisable <laughs> <laughs> and distinctive character actors of his time. Why are we doing a season on Michael Wincott, you might ask? Because we can. Let's let's see answer. <laughs> Why aren't you? Why we aren't have you? the means <laughs> and we want to do it, so that's that. <laughs> and uh, if we weren't so worried that Joel would leave the podcast in protest, we would do every Michael Wincott <laughs> film. <laughs> <laughs> but instead we've settled for two and maybe we'll sprinkle a few more in throughout the year so today we'll be putting the grunge 90s classic the crow on trial is it a bird's eye view or is it a lame duck hey you like that yeah <laughs> what about this one is it a chick magnet or is it a budgie smuggler <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went too far. You should have should have quit while you're ahead. Oh man, and uh, as always, yeah, I just never know when to call it a day. <laughs> I, I was I was going to make a joke about a murder, as in a collective term Ooh, for a group yeah. of crows. <laughs> yeah, I can see why you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. but I did just panic and was like, you know what? Maybe best I don't in case people think I'm making fun of Brandon Lee, which I'm not. Essentially. We're going to find out if this film will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. And you know what, guys? I've been thinking long and hard about it. I've been thinking new season, new theme song. Okay, right? Hear this out. Right, everyone's a wink up baby. That's the truth. <laughs> Watching all his films is such a treat. Everyone loves wink up baby. That's no lie. All his films, they satisfy. Wow. Like, <laughs> I, I genuinely want you to splice that over the opening for the next episode. <laughs> I, you know what? I just might. I just might. And if you listen to Michael Wincott, we love you, baby. Now, before we go on to the trial, uh, I think we should talk about the last film that we put on trial, which was the 2022 action comedy Violent Night. Now, firstly, I must apologize because 
that should have been the culmination of our festive season and should have been released in December. Uh, but I got, <laughs> I got a little bit ill, a little bit lazy, and it's only just gone out in February. <laughs> but, but the way I look at it is that a film about an asking king Santa Claus is for life, not just for Christmas. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Ozzy, you judged that trial and you deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, you've since gone away and you've watched the film. Did you make the right call, yes or no? Without doubt, I did. I think that's going to be a Christmas classic uh, for a long, long time. That was uh, it was very enjoyable, right up there with... Uh, it really helped keep me in the spirited Christmas spirit, to be honest with you. <laughs> that was a real delight of a... That we've been really lucky this year in terms of just Christmas films. It really set the scene for a great new year. So thanks, guys. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much, Ozzy. Very uh, succinct and, and comprehensive right, yeah. overview there. Yeah, I was going to say, it's my New Year's resolution to try and get really to the point when I'm speaking on the podcast. <laughs> well, well <laughs> let's see how just, well... Just one word up. answers from now on, Ozzy, just... Yeah. <laughs> I, I did panic for a moment then that you were going to fucking liken it to Christmas Chronicles 2 again, but thankfully <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> now you've watched the film, hopefully you know it's nothing like Christmas Chronicles 2, and that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, now, onto the trial itself. Now, all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So, acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is Dave. Now, what I've gone for this week, guys is bird themed insults so famous birds if oh you god i've already got mine no. good one a bald eagle good one <laughs> <laughs> good one well done gaff now i could also go as the old expression bald as a coot <laughs> that, that is good that is good but no no i haven't got for either of them you'll, you'll be pleased to hear oh, alex damn, I've, I gone for, I've gone for famous beds but thank you very much for helping with <laughs> insulting yourself there now uh, dave is just like zazu from the lion king he sounds like a posh pompous prick <laughs> <laughs> Is there, is there another part to that punchline? Or is... no. No, 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 no. I was waiting for it. I was like, oh, waiting no, for the shoe to drop, but no, there you go. You just uh... see, unlike you, my New Year's resolution is is that I realised that when I was listening back to a few of these episodes, that I'm nowhere near as harsh on Dave as I should be. So you've been softballing Dave. This well, true. I, I, even I have noticed that I get off lightly. Oh, so uh... it's your year as well, then, Dave. Jesus Christ, it is. We start off well. <laughs> okay, and joining Dave in defence will be me, and I'm just like Big Bird from Sesame Street, annoying, gangly, and yellow. <laughs> <laughs> and so, or clinically jaundiced, as the term is. Now, uh, as acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list, will be Alex, and Alex is just like Donald Duck, a lovable uncle who's happy-go-lucky, but refuses to ever wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should specify, I should specify that this pantlessness is strictly either when he's on his own or when he's in the company of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was too close to that uh, lovable uncle bit for my like. And actually, thanks for clarifying that. Is, that <laughs> you, you've widened the gap. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and initially, initially, Ozzy was supposed to be joining you in defense. Um, and Ozzy is just like Scrooge McDuck. He loves swimming in his big pile of money, the tight bastard. 
<laughs> but as per usual, Ozzy hasn't really watched the film. <laughs> Unfortunately for Ozzy, I don't think Joel is going to be able to make this recording. So Ozzy has kindly decided to step in to the role of judge. But just in case Joel does pitch up, I will say that... Um, is he like the lesser spotted woodpecker? <laughs> Ozzy, and that he's constantly got a woody. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was going to say he's constantly, constantly beating, beating on the word, and he's, uh, and he's, he's rarely attended the podcast over the last two months. Um, no, no, uh, but thank you very much, Ozzy. I'm really liking this, this uh, kind of branching out and asking you guys to insult each other oh, and yourselves right. as well. <laughs> uh, now, just like, court, just like real court advocates, the defence and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. And if Joel does decide to pitch up, then he will take back the role of judge. And his role is basically to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him. And Joel is just like Daffy Duck, stubborn, sarcastic and rude. And and he's probably a spy as well. <laughs> now, I think before we get started, we should try and give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. What was right. that? Uh, well, it was a pig. It was oink, 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 oink. And you, you'll, you'll be sad to hear that the Fredo that I glued to the Wheel of Impressions has since passed its Aww. expiration date. Sweet, sweet <laughs> prince, taken from us too soon. It's still there though, but it's just inedible. Um, and you will, you will have also seen that the Fredo has landed on me. Uh, so Yay. what we do here is we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, as it has landed on me, how would you guys like me uh, to read the synopsis? I think there's only one way to do this. I think you're gonna have to do your wink up, Gav. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Hang yeah, on. make it make it wink up. Oh, how does Michael Winkup sound? Well, I was thinking about this actually. It's very raspy. Raspy, but quite lazy, like a lazy. Okay. Raspy. So luckily, it's it's quite short. So, a man brutally murdered comes back to life as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's murder. Man, you got the gravel. That was that was full gravel. It's raspy. Yeah. It's full rasp. Not gonna oh. lie, as the judge, none the wiser of what's gonna go on in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least the shortest you... synopses we've ever listened to. <laughs> uh, at least you, you're not still the prosecution saying that. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah. I would have used it as an argument against, though, to be fair, so totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, without further, <laughs> without further hesitation, Ozzy, would you like to kick off proceedings? Yes, maybe uh, maybe Dave from Defence or Gav from Defence, whichever one of you sort mm -hmm. of prepared a bit of a... A bit of an overview of the film. Give me a give me a quick sort of slightly better plot summary than 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 that. You know, maybe fill out a few of the gaps. Let me know what's going on, and um, tell me mm -hmm. why this is a. You know, I think I've described it as a classic. Why 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 is it a classic? Why should I put it on a hit list? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a brief rundown of the plot. So what you're dealing with here is, is an adaptation of a, a graphic novel, uh, The Crow, written by James O'Barr. Now, James O'Barr wrote this as a way of dealing with his own fiance's death. She was killed by a drunk driver. So he kind of channeled a lot of rage into that, which is why this actually has a very dark tone to it and why the theme of revenge thro- flows through it so, uh, so thoroughly, should we say. So the story now concerns Eric Draven. Uh, played by Brandon Lee. He's a rock star, lives in Detroit with his fiance, and the film opens with this horrendously violent scene. I mean, I say horrendously violent, it's kind of done like a fever dream. You know something terrible is happening, you can't quite make out what, and what you're essentially witnessing from afar is the murder of Eric Draven and his girlfriend by these thugs. There's a home invasion, they break into their apartment, and they're killed. Uh, Eric Draven is shot, he falls out of the window and is killed instantly. She dies three days later in, in hospital. And this occurs in Detroit on mischief, on well, what we would call mischief night, they call devil's night which is a much more serious and ominous sound <laughs> yeah. than mischief night over here. You know? It's much more than just because... throwing a few eggs at your neighbor's exactly. house. Exactly. It's not, like, it's not like the crow comes back and, and he just like rings their doorbell. <laughs> and like, you know? it's a, this is a real story of revenge. <laughs> he takes his shit in a brown paper bag and leaves it alight outside the crime lord's door. <laughs> so, move on one year. It's now the devil's night one year on. Now, the voiceover at the start, which is said by Sarah, this is this local neighborhood girl that knew Eric and his fiance, and um, her mom was, was uh, I think, a drug addict, and, and they took her in every now and again and looked after her, so she, she was very upset by their murders. And she says at the start of the film, people once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul cannot rest. Sometimes, just sometimes... The crow can then bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. So one year on, on the Devil's Night once again, Eric Draven is resurrected by this sort of, I suppose you call it a spirit guide in the form of a crow. This sort of, uh, in, in this case, sort of a mythical creature that would would have ferried his soul to the afterlife, but can't can't take him there because his soul's too restless. And he's resurrected to take revenge one year on on the people who killed him and killed his fiance. Uh, and the film itself, it takes place, it's, it's very reminiscent, I would say, of films like Tim Burton's Batman or even Blade Runner. You've got that sort of urban decay feel about this. Uh, that, that's your sort of visual aspect. And obviously there's a lot of, although it's got an orchestral score, it's got a very sweeping uh, rock score to it as well, with Eric Draven having been a rock star. Uh, so that's the kind of aesthetic that you're dealing with here. And you're right, it is, it is considered a classic. It has become a cult classic. It was a bit of a sleeper hit. We'll go into that, and I'm sure Gav will cover it, or I can later down the line. And yet it became far bigger than the studio thought it would. Uh, and we'll, we'll delve into how and why as we go on, but I'll pass no, the torch yeah, I'd love to hear from Alex. You know, if I was Joel right now, I'd say, you know, cult classic. Exactly. It's often, a, often another term for shit film like by losers uh, how how i mean like firstly joel didn't say about by by losers right you've just added that bit right? <laughs> people who like cult films aren't losers i see right? uh, uh, alex there's a lot to go off there it sounds like a film which you know is is, is filled with uh with with things to really get get stuck into and and you know, and like Dave said, that it, it's a classic. It's I've heard of it at least. You know, it, you know, people are enjoying it. What um, 
Alex is nodding in agreement. <laughs> yeah, like he was nodding in agreement. They had a bit of a internet issue, and I thought. At the moment, I was, no, I was just angry there. Just very, very angry. Uh, so you know, this is a cult classic. Dave's correct, but it's a cult classic, really, because well, when you think of the Crow, you think of one thing. You think of Brandon Lee, who was tragically shot on set by you know a mistake by a, a prop, one of the prop people. Uh, terrible tragedy. But that is what you remember about The Crow. And I think that is why it's become a cult classic. I wouldn't say the film itself is why it's become. Not like The Warriors, where you could say the aesthetic of the film creates the cult classic part of it. I would say it's more of a tragedy that that's where the cult stems from. And and the sort of how that links into the rest of the film, because it is someone who's raised from the dead. And you know what I mean? It's sort of the tragedy and the film and the sort of the goth vibe that comes from it. I, I feel like that brought it up to its cult status. I would say the film itself is actually pretty unremarkable. It's a revenge story. So as revenge stories go, you just sort of, you know that's going to happen. You know, he he comes out and he's going to slowly kill people as it goes on. So it's not a particularly surprising story. It's also quite poorly set out, I think. You know, Dave's talking about, Dave was talking about the urban decay that's, you know, it is, and you know, he's right. It's similar to films that are in like uh, the Tim Burton Batman films. But it's not really as well set out as it is in those films. Like, you don't really know where this urban decay really particularly comes from. You sort of have to take this dystopia as just as fact. Um, the villains, you don't really understand. They just seem to, I mean, you know, we were laughing about Mischief Night, but really that is what they seem to do. They just, like, seem to cause chaos. And Michael Wincott's in charge. He's just, like, in charge of it by because he's just a, a, not a very nice man. You don't really get the sense that this is... There's not really good world building around it. The same is true of Eric Draven's powers. You know, he's, he's, he seems to be invincible, but and then he's got other powers that sort of just sometimes feel a little bit more just convenient to the, to the plot rather than being a really well thought out powers. So I just don't think, you know, it is a cult status, but for the wrong reasons, I would say so. And I think much in the same way, I think it does happen in culture sometimes, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, Nirvana are really well remembered, but would they be as well well remembered if you know the tragedy of Kurt Cobain hadn't happened? I'm I'm not I'm not so sure. You know, people are remembered well when tragedy strikes, and I think this is definitely true of The Crow. It is cult status, and it always will be because of the terrible circumstances of it. But taken, and we must do that. You know, in this taking it as a film, there really isn't anything to really recommend it. I don't think. And if Brand, if that hadn't happened, no one would be talking or remembering The Crow. Interesting, interesting way to put your point across there. So, Gav, maybe you can could jump in next. Is that Alex is saying that it's a film for goths? Um, Nirvana is shit. Pick either one of them, and uh... okay. Uh, it was a bold statement to make. I've I've tied two things into one. There, Gav. Try trying to distract him with the Nirvana argument. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, there's some re- really uh, interesting points raised. That it's it's a fairly unremarkable film in you know in in the the light of day and if um if we take it just as on its film qualities and its storytelling qualities it's uh it's it's completely it's just fodder what what, what do you say to that Gav? well i wouldn't say i wouldn't use the phrase light of day because it's an incredibly dark film <laughs> it's literally a, a metaphorical <laughs> Uh, literally a dark film <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a number of things there that i would 
massively disagree with Alex. Number one being Nirvana aren't shit. <laughs> I can't believe Alex would say such a bold statement. Like that. <laughs> uh, I, now, I would say that, you know, I would actually agree with Alex in that the story isn't really super unique. You know, man seeks revenge on a gang who wronged him. But what I would say is that there are enough deviations to make the story refreshing. Eric Draven returning from the dead is one of them. Also, the fact that Draven isn't this emotionally numb killing machine like we've seen in so many films like this. But he's instead a tender soul who has a pet cat that he looks after. And he also (laughs) looks after a teenage girl that he used to know. You know, he's a really sensitive guy. And it's a really complex figure as well. It isn't just a case of just like, man comes back, he's really angry, kills everybody, and that's it. Um, Ozzy, did you have a question? Have question. How long a uh, time period does the film take place? Like, this coming back to life? It's, it's all, it all takes place on one night. So the, 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 it starts with Mischief Night one year. Then it fast forwards to Mischief Night the following year. And the events of the film from then on all occur on, on the one night. Um, it's pretty intense then. Yeah, 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 definitely. And and I would massively disagree with what Alex was saying with regards to the aesthetic of it. You know, I, I, the aesthetic is, for me, what makes this such a, a, a like an amazing film. This is based on a graphic novel, and, and this is one of the few films I, I can think of that perfectly captures the aesthetic of its source material. It feels like it's been plucked from the pages of a graphic novel and put on the screen. The cinematography of Darius Wolski and the production design of Alex McDowell really helped to create this this unmistakable style and tangible setting. Alex said that he didn't think the world building was very good. I think that is one of the best parts of this film. It's so dark, it's dangerous, it's forever raining. You really get a sense of foreboding and dread throughout. There's not one bit in this film for me where you don't believe that you're in this city that is gripped by fear. Todd McCarthy wrote in a variety review of this that this generic inner city of Detroit makes Gotham City look like Emerald City. I think the world setting is fantastic. And a lot of that is also down to the director, Alex Proyas, who really adds to this distinctive feel by creating this really unusual and unique soundtrack, which really helps the setting as well. Because he draws from his history as, as a music video producer and creates this grungy, edgy, moody soundtrack, which perfectly complements the film. And Alex said about it being remembered because of Brandon Lee, uh, unfortunately, being fatally wounded on set. But there was like a debate as to whether this film would actually be released or not, and whether it would ever see the light of day. And eventually it was, and, and, and it was released in his honor. And I believe most people are thankful that this happened because it became a financial and a critical hit. It went on to develop a strong cult following. It was placed in the 2008 Empire list of the 500 greatest films of all time. It, and it created the inspiration for the wrestling icon Sting. Let's not forget that. And of course, <laughs> it cemented Brandon Lee's legacy as a promising icon who was taken from us all too soon. Now, Alex said that like the story was a bit weak, but I, I, I think that it's like this gritty and unrelenting tale and one that is perfectly it knows what it is and it's perfectly ground in this comic book setting this film isn't trying to be a realistic adaptation of or like of a gritty graphic novel like so many other comic books have tried to do before comic book movies have tried to do before sorry if you were watching death wish and some villain called top dollar pitched up collecting human eyeballs 
and nobbing his samurai sword wielding half sister, you'd think a little bit like, nah, this is a bit too much, <laughs> right? But, but it's totally that happens in there. <laughs> yes, that happens in this. But that's Michael Wincott. <laughs> but because it's not as fun film, as it sounds, Ozzy. That is nowhere near as fun as it sounds when you watch the film. You're going to be watching this film thinking, that. is that what he meant? Is that what he meant? Like, <laughs> Ozzy, is that and more? Is that and more? But because this film is so detached from reality, and because it is so well grounded in its graphic novel aesthetic, it can make these wild leaps in story. And you, as the audience, are 100% invested because not at any point do you ever doubt the setting. You are, like, enthralled in the film. All right, I mean, there were some really, really strong points there, Gav. There's a point that's come up a few times, though, throughout, and I just want to address it as at the, like where we're at now. Talk about the storytelling. I mean, Alex said, you know, there's not much substance to it. It's a little bit lacking. You've, been, you've you know, counted that straight away, that it's great, the world building is amazing. I'm finding it difficult to believe that a man who calls his protagonist Draven <laughs> and a film you. called The Crow. Thank you for picking this up. a lot of time to, like, <laughs> to really give this some I'll try and <laughs> rest a little bit, but it feels a little bit lazy. Um, however, Alex, um, you know, you're, it's, not, it's not lazy. There's a it's... lot of points to come back on that, you know. It's, it's honouring Edgar Allan Poe. You know what I mean? It's it's not lazy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> so it's 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 a lot more nuanced than I gave it credit for, Alex. So it's a it's a multi-layered, <laughs> faceted. Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe loved putting D in front of words, didn't he? Like he loved that. So. <laughs> um, sorry. So Alex, there was a, there was quite a few points that were raised there. You know that it that actually the. The, the the world itself is you know you you're seeing a day but you're seeing a day in a in a in a city that's you know incredibly damaged that, and no that's the biggest point I just dis I just massively disagree with what Gav said that this is a a, a good a gritty a good a, a well built world it's it's just not it's you know this idea of it being a city gripped by fear it's a very nineties concept of what poverty and poor inner city urban life looks like and i think it's very much of someone who possibly doesn't live in poor or inner city urban areas it's it's just this sort of idea of people running around doing mischief and not really you know it was, it, it's just a little bit naive particularly i i i think um the idea of brandon lee's character uh, eric draven having a tender soul and being sensitive guy is a little bit tonally off because he then he, he does go on this kind of sadistic bent at the start. And this is where the, I feel like the film doesn't really figure itself out until about halfway through. At the first at the first time, he comes out of the grave, he jumps out. He, he seems to sort of he has a little bit of a moment in the night, about 20 minutes where he sort of comes to terms that he's just been resurrected from the dead and that he's going to now come back and, you know, find and hunt down. All of which I understand. I don't want to spend too long. I sort of understand that's the premise of the film. Let's get to it. Fair enough. He puts face paint on, which seems an odd thing to do to come to terms with the death of your fiance and, you know, subsequent resurrection from the underworld. But then he just goes into this sadistic thing. And this is what I don't like about these revenge stories often. Maybe this is a personal thing, but you have this sadistic thing that happens at the beginning and, you know, terrible. And it just means that then this protagonist can go and do horrendous things to people. And the first ones, you know, he's stabbing people. He's so, you know, and, and yes, they deserve it, but it is still quite sadistic and not, not very pleasant to watch. Then the film sort of takes a, a 
you know, it takes a left turn halfway through and it turns into this sort of John Woo gunplay where he starts pulling out guns and just shooting basically everybody. And like I say, because you don't really know what the city that he's living in, you don't really know his powers. You don't even know him particularly as a person before he dies because of the way the story's told. I, you're not really invested in it and I'm, I'm not really getting what's going on about it. And just one point Gav made, which is where he said, you know, there was a debate about whether this film should have been made uh, or should have been released. I mean, Paramount or Miramax, I can't remember, I think it's Paramount, actually left this film alone and said, we're not going to distribute it, like we're not going to. And I think Miramax came in and said, well, we'll, you know, we'll be happy to take the money on that. I'm not really sure. When you're watching this film, like an awful lot of the film is watching Brandon Lee be shot because that's his power is to be shot and not die. He's, he's invincible. So a lot of it, he's being shot a lot. And it's very hard to watch this film and not be thinking about the tragedy. So, you know, it's quite a difficult watch from that point of view and uh, doesn't make it for pleasant viewing at all. Okay, well, again, quite a lot of points there. I mean, I, I, from a, just like on a judge sort of counteracting and then we move on. It feels like um, it's a tough one when a film suffers such a big tragedy or real production issues and you think, well, maybe best not to release it because then there's a whole host of people spending, you know, been paid throughout and maybe wasted years of their life sort of creating an art and you think, does it, you know, and, and, and I know it was mentioned earlier that this was released essentially as a, almost as like a bit of a, an homage or a, maybe, or, you know, a bit of a, in, in honor. Yeah. Yeah. Brendan Lee. So, you know, it's a tough one to say whether it's right or wrong to have, to have released it. Uh, yeah. I don't know what the right answer is, but I can see both arguments on that, but they, you know, some of the other points though, like, I mean, Alex, the, the school teacher news really coming out that the revenge issue, you know, an eye for an eye leaves the, the whole world blind. Even, and maybe not a great great concept for a for a film if you're just going to base the whole thing on that. Um, I don't know whether you you got a few you raised a few few solid points and maybe you could point pick on some of them and then move us on to the soundtrack or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, one point I do want to come back on is what Alex was saying about how the film sort of it's it's only known for Brandon Lee's death and that's what the studio capitalized on, which I guess ties into what you were saying about should it have been released or not. Um, if people only went to see the film because of some morbid fascination with Brandon Lee's death, then you would have seen the initial box office figures uh, straight out of the gate. They would have been huge. You'd have had a huge opening weekend. Everyone would have gone to see it because he died way before the film was released. He died eight days before it was before filming was completed. So that you would have seen a, a huge influx of people going into the cinemas as soon as it came out, and then that would peter off into nothing. That's not what you got. This is classed as a sleeper hit. By which I mean it was released to very minimal fanfare. The Miramax didn't really want to market this. They wanted to put it out there because the film was almost done. It wasn't really they weren't expecting to actually make much money. I think they just wanted to break even, maybe a small profit. And it actually, <clears throat> through word of mouth and through solid critical reviews, people actually heard that, oh, this film, yeah, you know, Brandon Lee's last film, it's actually not half bad, you know. It's actually quite good. And so the the figures slowly built and built as more people went to go see it or go see it again. It got bigger over time. It's not his death that launched this as a film. It got bigger over time. The box office figures will show you as such. 
And in terms of should the film have been released, yes, I think it should. A lot of people, because it was so close to being finished, a lot of people had actually almost seen the completed film before Brandon Lee died. And after his death, they had to make a few changes. They had to, uh, you know, reallocate dialogue to other characters. They had to omit some scenes altogether. They had to use some doubles just to make it all work. Minor tweaks, but a couple of tweaks were made. But a lot of people said, actually, it has improved the film tenfold. You've actually you've whittled the film down. You've made it more streamlined. It's actually got more of a mainstream feel because some of the darker elements have actually been taken out of it. The film actually was improved by the changes that they made. In terms of whether it was respectful or not to Brandon Lee's memory to release the film, I think it was because this became the role that he was best remembered for. You know, to the average person, okay, maybe maybe Gav could name a few more Brandon Lee films, but the average person, I think, can only really name The Crow. And as a result of that, you know, this has put him on the map. He is remembered now as a movie star, you know, one that was tragically taken from us too soon. But people look to this role and they think, oh, wow, what he what he might have achieved. You know, Alex was saying the storyline, you don't really connect with Eric Draven in the same way because you don't get time to get to know him. You don't get time to get to know him. That is true. But one of the things that saves this and we'll go into this in performances is Brandon Lee's performance. You know, the, this he had a natural presence on the screen and i think there's also the element of tragedy from an artistic point of view that god imagine the roles he could have taken on in the future imagine what he could have done had he lived and this film is like a taste of what might have been he is charismatic he has got presence he's got everything it would have taken to have become a movie star and while his specter will hang over the crow and there's always going to be that oh that's the film brandon lee died making it's so much more than that this is a legacy piece and a, quite a moving and quite appropriate one for him as well. But it's also a decent film in its own right. What Gav was saying about the aesthetic, uh, Darius Wolski's cinematography, this film looks better than it has any right to on paper. This is a good-looking film with some remarkable cinematography shots. Gav's already covered it, but I just want to back him up on that point. This film looks remarkable. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, some, so again, some very nice comebacks and some good new points raised there. And I think I'd like to... Pushes on to sort of performances here, Alex. Is the you know we've talked we're talking a lot about Brandon Lee and, and obviously so. Um, so we'll, let's touch on on that. You know, is that a dark, brooding performance? Is that is that a, is that a performance of someone who's you know they're they're around a character. This is great. It's proper movie star. Is it just you know we see a lot of earlier works of people who are actually yeah it's promise, but it's not great. Yeah, I, I'd say you could see potential, but obviously he's very young in his career at that time. And, you know, you could see that maybe, you know, I think that's part, you know, obviously part of a tragedy is you could see that this is someone who could become, you know, it, it, I don't want to go into it too much, but I wouldn't say that his performance is like mesmerizing in The Crow. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fine performance. He's obviously, he's also Bruce Lee's son. So, you know, he learned the, the fight choreography he's he's got in there as well. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say you see the crow because you think, wow, this is the best performance ever, you know, and, and, I, and I feel a bit bad saying that because, you know, of, of the circumstances of the film. But um, yeah, you know, and he's also in face paint for a lot of it. And I would say maybe the problems are beyond him a little bit in the sense that his character just seems a little bit. I don't know, it's just an odd one to do. You know, he seems to at one point he's being sadistic and he's killing people that are sort of begging not to die. The next thing he's sort of looking after a young girl. The next time he's sort of saying slightly pretentious goth stuff. Do you know what I mean? Which I think resonated with <laughs> back in the day, I was slightly pretentious goth kid. You know what I mean? So I, I you know, I think that it, it sort of gives me a little bit of a cringe just, just oh, through a uh, moderately pretentious, less 
There we go. <laughs> we were all we were all on the sliding scale there in sixth form, yeah. I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I feel I feel like when I feel like when Alex lost his hair, that's when <laughs> got it died. Became a lot less goth. You don't get you don't get any bald goths. I know, I know. If I tried to look like Brandon Lee, I'd just look like a big clown, wouldn't I? But I, I, <laughs> I could give it a go. What about what about other, like I I think that's quite you know it's enough. It's difficult to talk down on someone when we've not had a chance to um to really see the full potential and to know whether that's as good as they could become or whatever but what about the others i mean obviously he's not the only character yeah. in this what about this... other good characters or you know tony todd's in this you got ernie hudson in this and you know they give they, they give um decent performances um i'd say some of the sort of the the, the wilder gang crew uh, are a bit too much at times you know there's, there's there's kind of times when they just seem a bit mad and you, you're not particularly bothered when they get shot to be honest which seems for a revenge film kind of takes away from it a little bit um so i wouldn't say the performances is where my my issue is michael wincott you know i'm i'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about him i will not Good. and i don't want no i won't and you know this is michael wincott dead. season this not is his celebration. Season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even even when I'm on the other side, I won't say anything bad about him. And do you know what? I was watching this film and I was starting to think, oh God, this is just a revenge. And I was getting bored and I was starting to think, you know, this I was literally thinking, this is just because of the circumstances of, of Brandon Lee's death. And then Michael Wincott back came back on and I was like, oh no, we, we're doing it because of him. <laughs> you know, he's in it. And you know, and he 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 holds the villain uh end of it together. But there's not a lot, you know, I mean, it, at the end of the day, you're still questioning what is his, what is he as a villain? He just seems terrible. He has one good line where they're talking about um, Mischief Night or, you know, Devil's Night. And he says, you know, we're all being motivated by greed. Let's be motivated by anarchy. And there's a moment when you think, oh, wow, that's a really, that's a really interesting one line in the film. And then it just descends into this huge gunfight and all of that sort of nuance is lost. So apart from that, you're just thinking, you know, he gets all of these people around the table and you're just like, well, who are these people? Where have they come from? What, what's going on there? And then they're instantly all shot. So it doesn't really matter. It, it just feels from a sort of character point of view and building things. This is where I massively disagree with Gav and Dave. I don't think the city aesthetic doesn't work as well because you don't know where the city is. You don't know why it's in such disrepair. You don't know why things are, are as bad as they are. And the villains and Michael Wincott is sadly let down by just the, the, the complete lack of any backstory whatsoever. I'm going to throw it to the some, some really good points nicely laid out there. I'm going to throw it to the to the uh, defence. Uh, Dave, I think Gav's handing, handing his little uh, hand over to you. Yeah, just the uh, the combat point and then I'll let Gav talk about the performances in general. I just want to come back on the uh, the... the what are the villains about? What is Michael Wincott about? And that is deliberately, uh, that card is deliberately played close to the D, the director's chest. At, when uh, when uh, Eric Draven and his fiance are murdered at the start of the film, you think it's just these thugs. You're not quite sure why they got in there. You see uh, David Patrick Kelly, who we know from Warriors, mm -hmm. uh, as the leader, he's brandishing papers at them. Uh, and he's like, what was going on there? What was this about? Eric Draven kills the thugs that actually did the killing. Uh, he has a run-in with Michael Wincott as he's getting to the last one. And then he is back at his grave uh, and his fiance's grave, ready to go over to the afterlife when he realizes he can't. Something's not right. His revenge isn't complete. Michael Wincott was behind it the whole time. He sent the thugs there in the first place. He was the owner of the building and he was doing forced evictions, that sort of thing. It just got out of hand is all it was. But he was still 
the root cause of why this these murders happened in the first place. So his revenge has to carry on. He's got to take take down the kingpin in charge of this, and that's what Michael Wincott's role is. That's where all the people are. He's he's got his finger in many pies, and these are these are his lieutenants, these are his sergeants, these are his thugs on the street, and it gives you a scope of how far how powerful this guy is. Um, but it's it's a slow builder for sure. You don't meet him and understand where he fits into this necessarily, but you do by the end. There you go. Uh, nicely explained. Thank you very much, Dave. I mean, that's one hell of a getting out of hand, isn't it, for a an eviction? Oh, yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, this, this got away from us, boys. <laughs> but you just had to get him out. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Uh... All you had to do was hand them the paper. What went wrong? Well, what, what, what did you do? Uh, <laughs> this is kind of fun, boys. Wasn't that the Joe Anderson defense? <laughs> uh, Gav, go on. Sorry, you were going to touch on the uh, the performances. So, so Alex is saying that the performances are okay, but they're not giving anything to work with. So it's it's impossible to have a good performance when mm-hmm. you've got a shit character. Well, I mean, fuck Alex, right? Firstly, <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, just to touch upon Brandon Lee, which I think is it's yeah, what Alex said about the fact that he's wearing makeup throughout most of the film. It's like, what well, you can still do a good performance in makeup. Look at Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight. Now, don't even like, get. I'm trying to avoid that comparison. <laughs> All right, Gav. Like, don't bring that in. That's a whole other episode which okay, we did. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Next thing you're going to be telling me that Robin Williams's performance in Mrs. Doubtfire wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right. Okay. Getting back to Brandon Lee. Uh, talking about him just being remembered for just this film. I think, as Dave said, this is his opus. He rightfully earned his place on the walls of hundreds of thousands of teenagers and goths alike, or in Alex's case, teenage goths. Now, the man took a role that could, and when you think about it on paper, and Alex's sort of prosecution here, the role could have been quite moody and generic in the hands of a lesser performer. And I think that he really turned this into something much much better much deeper and that actually transcended cinema you know plus i mean that's a bold statement i was you know you were starting to convince me a little bit there and then you said it transcended (laughs) cinema no no but but no but it did i mean i've mentioned before about the restless sting let's not forget sting (laughs) (laughs) it has uh, in that you know the the image of brandon lee in the crow is iconic you don't have to have seen the crow to not know that image is what i'm trying to say that's what i mean it's transcended the film and and also the guy was fucking smoking hot in it as well you know i think it was it rightfully placed on the walls of teenagers alike because of that but the writer james obar was enamored after meeting brandon lee for the first time and championed for him to be cast in the role and Lee did not disappoint him. Obar said that the level of physicality and charisma that he brought to the role was amazing to witness. And as Dave was saying before, he said, not a lot of people realized just how hard he worked. He did all of his own fight choreography and nearly all of his own stunts. That's without even talking about his performance. He brought the right mix of humor, pain, and menace to the role. And I completely agree. I think it was a really, really complex performance where he had a full spectrum of emotional range on display. And uh, that's just talking about Brandon Lee. I'm not even going to go into the, I mean, how could you say that the characters or the cast weren't great when you've got the likes of fucking Tony Todd, the the man fucking Tony Todd, podcast favorite, 
and cinem- cinematic great Tony Todd makes an appearance in this. And uh, th- uh, th- this is a little bit of an insight into my life. I don't think I've ever told you guys this, but I was watching the film, I was watching The Crow with Siobhan the other week, and within the first few minutes, she was like, oh, I didn't know your dad was in this. <laughs> right? <laughs> so basically, I told her a few years ago that my ideal father when I was growing up was Ernie Hudson. <laughs> because I mean, I get it. Yeah, I yeah. Get no, it. no, you yeah. don't need to under explain yeah. that one, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's the father figure. Exactly. Yeah, because he, he plays just such great fatherly roles. He's really caring. He's really nurturing. Wise, yeah, wise, sheer presence, exactly. and his second name is only one letter off mine. So if either of us, <laughs> either of us wanted to change our names, <laughs> it wouldn't be that much of an issue. And anyway, he like it's but yeah, every time basically we watch a film and he crops up, Siobhan's always like, "Oh, it's your dad." <laughs> like, so that's been nice. But anyway, he delivers on that front in spades. You know the fact that he is just—I think he's just perfect for this role. He is like a very protective, caring, kind. I could literally watch him in a one-man show where he just reads the phone book and I wouldn't get bored. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's, What's I think, Sorry, why is it? So he plays the role of the police officer that basically assists Eric Draven and the teenage girl take down the crime lord. So he's a sort of like kind of... Uh, on link to reality he's he doesn't believe it he's seeing these things and he's like yeah i I don't believe that eric draven's dead i don't believe he's come back from the from the dead um but he's also trying he's the sort of moral one the one that's trying to bring down the gangs in in sort of by the book way you know some of his other police Mm -hmm. uh I'd, well, I'd, until until the end, I would say so. Yeah, it's, it's obviously at the end that changes when he starts murdering people. Until the people. end, when he shoots Tony <laughs> Todd, just, just thinks, do you know what? No, I'm gonna. <laughs> well, he's just, right. Let's just, just blow them show, all away. It's just to show how charismatic uh, Brandon Lee was as Eric Draven is that he could. <laughs> who's, who's, what about Tony Todd? You said Tony Todd's charismatic, and he shoots him. So are you, are you choosing Brandon Lee over Tony Todd, Gav? Make it's a choice. A, it's a hard choice. It's a hard <laughs> choice. Don't put me in that. I feel like a child that is being split between two divorced parents here. Don't make me choose, Alex. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would say that like some of the characters may not be as fleshed out uh, as other films. I will admit that you know some of the um, supporting villains are a little bit maybe one-dimensional. But at the end of the day this is standard for this type of film you watch a film like a revenge film and you have the main bad guy a couple of like henchmen and then you have like a bunch of of superfluous henchmen that get killed off you know alex will be the first to tell you here any james bond film you can tell you know you can tell me a little bit about the characters of the villain and maybe the sub villain but there's a whole lot of people that get murdered that really don't have any backstory at all and that's what they're there for that is to further the plot to give eric draven purpose and to get murdered and the thing is is the performers behind them dave mentioned a few before do a fantastic role in just being unlikable shit that you want to see get killed so you know what more could you ask for Okay, very, very nicely put. Um, maybe we should do some some wrap-ups. There are a few things which have been hinted at but not really touched upon in, in any detail. So if you can give a summary, I don't know, maybe. We, talk, we talked about uh, the soundtrack, you know, there being some, some uh, classics and some rock tunes thrown in. We touched on fight choreography and, and I assume with it being, you know, sort of a revenge 
beast and there's loads of guns and shooting there'll be action set pieces maybe we can touch on them alongside anything else you think we've missed just very short sort of rapid fire that'll be grand if there's a flourish you will please me no end but if there isn't i'm I'm happy either way who wants to go first no i i i don't think i've got any flourishes and i'm going to stay away just to be safe uh my main points all sort of wrap up into one basically this is a a C movie that's been made into an A movie through tragedy, essentially. It's, you, we just wouldn't be talking, this wouldn't be on the podcast. We wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't for the tragedy. It's not completely without any merit. Like you say, you've got Ernie Hudson, you've got Michael Wincott, you've got, you know, Tony Todd in there. And you've got Brandon Lee, who is, you know, the son of Bruce Lee in a sort of an action and a sort of interesting role but there's too much wrong with it there's too much wrong with this the way the world is set the way everything is done the way the tonal shift between sadism and then this sort of like who cares bullets flying action there's too many things that have gone wrong with it i, th I think it could have maybe un under better hands of of being a, a pretty good film but the only reason we're talking about it is because of a tragedy and it is just a c movie that if you were watching it and it came up on telly and it was you know late at night and you had a few beers and you watched it you'd enjoy it watching it and you'd never ever remember it or mention it to anyone and and i'm and i'm afraid that's that's my takeaway from the crow well okay so the takeaway from that is that the crow is just like steps only remembered for it's exactly aussie it's exactly like steps <laughs> the band for anyone who for anyone who's not in england i guess that, <laughs> it's the song only remember for tragedy is what you're <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know where the fuck he was going with that but yeah. <laughs> i think you're talking about alex the last thing alex said was about enjoying some beers and i was like five six seven eight is that how <laughs> Uh, sorry, uh, Gav. Or... I thought it. I thought it was like a, a raven, joke, like one for sorrow or something. <laughs> <I think. laughs> uh, you know what? Steps will steps will known for a hell of a lot more. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> like this is this. You, you leave steps alone. <laughs> you, could you we... just defending everything at this point? <laughs> <laughs> can we stop slandering nineties bands, please? I'm in the zone. First Nirvana, now Steps. Who next? Does he? The cause. <laughs> I'm going back for Sting in a minute. Yeah, you can clean him up. Oh, sting the wrestler, not Sting the. I take right, back what okay. I said about Nirvana, right, guys? Just let's. As, as he... I've just I've got an image of Sting leaving the police and painting his face <laughs> to, do, to do fields of gold. <laughs> Go on, defense, please, uh, please put me out yeah. of my misery. Tell me why this is such a great film. So, so this is a C movie that's been elevated to an A movie through world building, brilliant aesthetics, great cinematography, and fantastic performances. You see what he did there? He took my words and he twisted them. Yeah. He twisted them against me. <laughs> <laughs> this, this film you said, but with a different tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> this this film is unique, memorable, and above all, utterly enjoyable. As Alex said, what better film to sit down on a Saturday night and enjoy a few beers and watch? It's it's fantastic. <laughs> now, and, and I would like to end on this, Alex. This this argument, um, basically, it's a it's a short quote from a very divisive podcast regular. Roger Ebert. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote that it was the best version of a comic book universe he had ever seen. So I think after that and after this argument and after this trial, the prosecution are really going to have to eat crow. 
Very well done. I assume, Dave, you don't want to top that, or have you got anything to add? Uh, I will add the opening line to that Roger Reeves <laughs> quote, which I also wrote down, which was, it is a stunning work of visual style. I'm glad you... And I stand I, I'm kind of glad you added that, because I was going to say, how many good comic book movies had there been prior Until to... Until then, none. In 1994. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had The Saint and... Batman. Had... Tim Burns, Batman, Batman. Batman. Oh, Batman. Yeah, Batman. Batman. Batman Returns, yeah. Superman. And, and the Superman films, yeah. Okay. Actually, to be fair to Roger Ebert, there were quite a yeah. few. <laughs> All right, Much better than The Crow, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll fucking dare you. Well, I mean, we've, we've often questioned Roger Ebert's taste in films, and, um, you know, just... just <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys very much. Um, I believe we have a quiz. I believe it's going in alphabetical order. And we do for me. So, um, so. <laughs> this is a quiz that's all based on accidents that have happened in films, but slightly lighter tone. No, I've not, not gone. <laughs> I've not gone to the deaths. It's okay, guys. Don't worry. It. Like it's all like the twilight zone. Yeah, like you, that. we're sticking with the. You, you can relax. Stuff. It's the lighter stuff. Don't worry. Um, Good. No one dies. Uh, in Das Boot in 1981, uh, actor Jan Feder tripped and was nearly swept off a submarine until a fellow actor screamed "Man overboard!" and managed to save him. What did director Wolfgang Peterson do? Did he A, sail a submarine directly into a nearby resort, which caused an international incident? B, nothing because he was fast asleep? Or C, did he say, that was a great idea, Jan. Let's do it one more time. Definitely. <laughs> can, can I just say this is a great quiz already? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to say B. I think C. It was C. Well done. Uh, Ozzy and Dave, you are correct. Uh, it was C. He was mortified about it, but he did say, yeah, let's do it one more time. He basically thought Jan had improvised by trying to throw himself off a submarine, <laughs> which he, he had not done. Next one, uh, in Scarface, uh, this is a bit of a tricky one. I'd be very impressed if people can get this. How did Al Pacino burn his hand, which halted production for two weeks? Oh, did, was it something to do with gunfire? It was. Did, did oh. the, like the prop gun, like it was too hot and it, it warmed up? Or, or did, did they try uh, to light a cigarette with a gun? <laughs> I wish that were true. That's much better. Um, was it the grenade launcher bit? There was his hand too close he, to the actual he, grenade yeah, canister. I'm, I'm going to give one to all of you there. He basically, yeah, he <laughs> held the barrel. <laughs> I mean, don't give one to Ozzy. Ozzy, have it. Ozzy, you're having it. Ozzy was like, did he snort cocaine off the gun? <laughs> uh, yeah, he, but he held the barrel of a gun that had just been fired. But yeah, interesting if that was the grenade launcher. Uh, this this, this was my favourite one, I have to say. During like filming... Third in the quiz and not like... I know, I should have left it at the end. Well, <laughs> I've tried to leave some good ones for the end. During the filming of Rocky Four. Uh, Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren agreed to spar with each other to create realism I know. Uh, in their fight scenes. Which one of them was subsequently airlifted <laughs> to hospital 
<laughs> and spent eight days in intensive care. This <laughs> <laughs> is Stallone, isn't it? Yeah, it's still a, it's still a, it's still Stallone was like, yeah, for realism, punch me as hard in the chest <laughs> as you can. <laughs> it's it, it's like it's like an episode of SpongeBob, isn't it? It's just like eight days later. Apparently, punched him so hard his heart nearly exploded in his chest. <laughs> like oh it's, it made his heart swell up, and he had to be airlifted. He doesn't appear again in this quiz. But I found basically all of this is from a Wikipedia page about accidents on films. And Sylvester Stallone just keeps popping up. I was literally <laughs> dying with laughter about how much Sylvester Stallone pops up. He keeps doing his own stunts and he keeps not learning that he's not very good at stunts. Do you know what I mean? He's more metal than man at this point, seriously. Are all, all of his lines like, I can take it. Do it. <laughs> you can't, do it for real. I can take it. He didn't take it again, Sylvester. Do you know what I mean? Like, yet again. You can't catch a bullet in your teeth, <laughs> You can't take it. I don't. Let him take it, Christ. Let him take it. <laughs> Just imagine it's like it's, it's like yeah. at the beginning of an episode of It's Always Sunny. It's like, I can take it. I can take <laughs> it. Like, Sylvester slowed ends up in ice. Cannot take it again. Uh, right, next question. In Highlander 2, who severed part of their opponent's finger? Was it Christopher Lampert um, or was it Michael Ironside? Whose oh, part I of mean, their finger got severed? Um, can I say, I, I hope to Christ it's Michael Ironside because <laughs> I had a theory for years that he would only appear in films if a part of his body was severed. <laughs> like, this is why I put the question in, Gav. I know. I know so did one of, them, one of them injured the other? Yeah, so was it Christopher Lambert I... who severed part of Michael Ironside's finger, or did Michael Ironside sever part of Christopher Lambert's finger? I think Lambert severed Ironside. I'm going to go I'm gonna go there. Three for three. All of us think it's Ironside. Okay, unfortunately, no, you're all wrong. It was oh, Michael Ironside yeah. who severed, possibly because, I don't know, he found out in the script he wasn't going to get anything cut off and so he decided <laughs> just to get his head he cut his off head oh well hey. sorry it's been it's been a while sorry yeah that is it's quite a crucial or, one to get or, off or the way you, or the, you could look at it the other way he gets his, his body severed <laughs> <laughs> from his head <laughs> well that's our fault i suppose um how many another great another re really love this one how many times was Bob Hoskins stabbed on the set of Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> How many times was he stabbed on the set of Super Mario Brothers? Let's be honest, it was probably his fault because he was just shit-faced all the time. But how, <laughs> how many times? I'm going to guess 12. 12? <laughs> 12. <laughs> 12 for Ozzy. Uh, Gav? I'm going to say yeah, three. Dave? I'm going to say he went full on Julius Caesar. and No, no, I'm not going to go as many as that. I'm going to say six. six Closest times. is Gav. Four times. He got stabbed four times. Ooh. I don't know if it was in the same incident, if he got <laughs> stabbed in quick succession four times, or if it was over the course of filming, he got stabbed at different times. He <laughs> was also he electrocuted and nearly drowned. <laughs> I mean, like, to be fair... I don't remember the film being that exciting. Or been that film. Dangerous. So, to be fair, you know, he was drunk. And the film is so fucking bad, I wouldn't be surprised if he stabbed himself to get our film for the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another one I didn't know this. I'll be interested to see if people know this. I, I had no idea, so it might be a tricky one. What caused 80 of the, 80 of the cast and crew on the set of Titanic to be hospitalised? The Benz? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> 
and it's not hypothermia or something. Not hypothermia, no. Was it some sort of like food poisoning or something? I'm going to give it to Ozzy. It was food poisoning. Uh, they ate clam chowder that had been laced with PCP. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and eighty of them were sent to um, yeah the catering company. Basically, someone poisoned the clam chowder with PCP. Oh my and they god! Got sent away. Not nice. even like salmonella or something. It's just like yeah, it's no P oh, PCP. Wow. PCP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is twenty-six-year-old uh, waitress. Yeah, it could be. But. Sorry, did you say twenty-six-year-old waitress? <laughs> Fuck you, Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the DiCaprio doesn't go out with anyone. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry, <got> that. <laughs> took us I all a while. In nineteen ninety-seven, that would have been age appropriate. <laughs> uh, how did Vigo Mortensen break two of his toes in Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers? Oh, bam! Oh, I know. Oh, go on, yeah, Dave. Go, go on. on. No, go on. Didn't go on. he like? Twat uh, <laughs> helmet with his thin, he'd like boot a helmet full force, and it was yeah. he proper boots yeah, yeah. and a high helmet in the two towers. It's actually in the film as well, so uh, yeah, he kicks a helmet as hard as he can, and it's actually in the film, and you can tell it's really kind. He drops to his knees, yeah. and goes, ah! <laughs> he used it obviously for it, but you can tell it's just there's a lot of actual pain in there. Um. What part, there's that penultimate question, what part of his leg did Brad Pitt injure during the filming of Troy? Oh, bam. Surely it's not his Achilles tendon. It certainly <laughs> was his Achilles tendon. Well done, Gav. And wow. the, last, the last question, I've, 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 I've saved the probably the most horrific to the last. In The Eagle, uh, I think 2011, to stay warm in the river fighting scenes, the actors had wetsuits on that had river water that had been mixed with boiling water. But sadly, someone forgot to add the river water to Channing Tatum's suit. Oh my God. Um, oh, and unfortunately, the tip of his what was burned off. <laughs> it was burned <clears throat> off completely. The tip of his what was burned off. Burned off. Burned off. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna dodge the obvious one, but still go nipple. Nipple. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm going. What would the shoe? Go for the other nipple. I'll, I'll go for the the belly button. The belly button. I don't know what. Why tip. would you put all of your body in if it's surely you put your foot into a wetsuit first? No, I, I imagine that he's in the wetsuit and they poured boiling water in. They did. I think yeah, that's, that's what That's what happened. Nipples and belly button. I'm, I'm afraid you all didn't go for the low hanging fruit, which was his penis. It did. <laughs> the low hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was anyway. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yes, I will send you the link to this. Uh, there's quite a few a surprising picture. ones in there. <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. Don't worry about it, guys. And uh, on that note, on that tip, that ends the quiz. Excellent <laughs> quiz. Great work. Great work. That was a lot of fun. And um, and it did distract me quite a bit from making a judgment. Fortunately, I, I had uh, I did I was leaning one way as we as we went. You were really winning me over with your uh, disdain for Nirvana and the overratedness of that. <laughs> the uh, the hype surrounding the band, you know, a few good songs, a few good moments, and I think that's maybe sings true to the film. A few good moments, uh, a lot of potential, a real good chance to be something fantastic. But ultimately, it does feel like maybe just another film. That's that's kind of what it feels like to me. This is just another '90s film, maybe a you know a reasonable soundtrack and 
a nice legend to go with it. And and I'd love to make make you think you don't know which way I'm going, but I'm very much I'm going to put this on the shit list because I think it sound I, to me it sounds like it's overhyped and overrated. And um, there's a good chance that while it's not a bad movie, it's not really a good movie. It just has a good story to go with it. Sorry. So let's see what everybody else genuine <laughs> opinions. Let's start with Dave. While I calm down. Ozzy's not far off the money, to be honest with you. I wanted to like this. I really did want to like this. At first I'd never seen it before. So this is my first time watching it. It's it's a good film. You know, the, the aesthetic is incredible the cinematography in this is honestly sensational and i think brandon lee is brilliant i think the performances are pretty good the script is a bit weak to say the least the script is weak and the plot okay it doesn't need a lot doing to it <clears throat> it doesn't need to be uh it, i'm not expecting anything too complex it's a very simple revenge story but come on there could have been a bit more to it i think and you know that there's some bits that could have been clearer i'm not sure the direction was quite up to scratch either it's it's good it's good it's I, it might have just just edged it onto the hit list if i was feeling generous but there's flaws there's a lot of flaws um Name i don't one. think the specter of brand <laughs> <laughs> I, ju I just have a dialogue um yeah i think I, the, the specter of brandon lee is there but it's not as prevalent hopefully not as you might literally. think it's not literally there, but it's you, it's not too much of a distraction when you're watching the film. You can enjoy it and appreciate what it might have been, but yeah, it's it's flawed. It's very flawed. Well, Dave's wrong, but uh, Alex, let's see what you thought of this. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't make anything up about what I was saying. Like you know, it's not the worst film, like Dave was saying. I, I think Ozzy's completely spot on with his judgment there. It's not the worst film in the world, but just not a film I don't think people would ever really particularly talk about. And like Dave said, just because of some pretty big flaws in it, just not really making the mark, I wouldn't say for for, for, for me. Bang average. And I think I'd, you know, I'd be near to where Dave is. You know, I wouldn't say it's like bottom of the shit list, but it probably edged slightly the other way for me. But unremarkable, I think I said at the beginning, and, and that's exactly what I think about it. Well, Alex yeah, is wrong as well. <laughs> Uh, this film is fucking brilliant, Ozzy. <laughs> look, says the little goth, look at him. <laughs> In his black top hat and his white... <laughs> you of all people should understand this, Ozzy. <laughs> his black lipstick, Jesus Christ. I've not seen, I've not seen many houses more colourful than Gav's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flamingos aren't very good. <laughs> it's almost like the lady doth protest too much. He's closeted. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what? Like, I, I watched this film the first time when I was, I don't know, about 12 maybe, and absolutely loved it when I was a kid. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Watched it many, many times. Hadn't watched it back again since I was probably at uni. And I watched it back with Siobhan recently, and I was like, oh, my God, you are going to love this film. <laughs> and I must admit, it wasn't as good as I remember, but I was still able to appreciate it. And I think uh, part of that is roast into glasses and the fact that it holds a very special place in my heart from many many years ago but also i think 
what some of the things that maybe Dave and Alex didn't like, and I know Siobhan definitely fucking didn't like. Yeah, I was going to say, what, did, what was her impression? Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't a fan. She liked uh, my dad, didn't he? <laughs> that was about it. And Michael Wincott, obviously. And, and, and let's not forget Michael Wincott as well. Thank you. Tony Todd. Um, of course. Randomly. Of course. Uh, no, but, so some of those elements, I think I was able to appreciate more because they're slightly campy and... Uh, they're, you know, they're charming, I would say, is, is the is the way to describe them in that, you know, like it's I think I, I wasn't lying when I was talking about the world building and the aesthetic. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I will agree with Dave and Alex about the script. I think it definitely could have been tighter. I think the story could have been more fleshed out. I don't know how much of that is due to the fact that they had to cut things short because of Brandon Lee's untimely death or whether it was just a case that it was a weak script to begin with. But I think there's enough in there for me to make it a hit film, judging on what I said before, the aesthetic of it, the cinematography, the performances, the soundtrack. There's enough all round to make it a good general package for me anyway. But it'll be interesting to see what you think about it, because I I can see you really liking this film, to be fair. But uh, I mean, again, I am looking I forward to it. I think it sounds like there's enough pleasant, you know, no one said it's shit. Everyone just said it. It's either, you know, it's either they did with their or... face. Ozzy, I yeah. can see in Alex's eyes. But you you'll get through it, Ozzy. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's going to be like, oh, you know, I can't. You have to watch it in five installments or anything. Like, you know, you'll make it work through, but you'll just kind of wonder why you did. How <laughs> fucking dare you! Um, <laughs> I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. Now, uh, moving on, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was the uh, soon-to-be cult classic Violet Night, which God, don't, was seventy. Two percent critical and eighty-eight percent audience. That is. High. I'm going to say lower. I mean, if everyone, people, you know, we got a two, two for one bang average, and then a. But the cult, the cult thing comes into it with the, you know, when you when you think about. It. So yeah. I think that's going to bump up the score a bit. The Roger Ebert wasn't the exception. The critics loved yeah. it. Absolutely loved it. I think higher on all counts. Do so. you think that's because was was Bruce Lee still alive at this point? No, Bruce Lee. No, no he, so, were, so there's no worries then about somebody coming to beat them up if they were bad about it. <laughs> I don't think so, no. <laughs> no, um, apart from me, maybe. But I was, <laughs> I, was, I was very young at the time, so it wouldn't have caused much of a threat. Uh, but I'll find them now, and they'll be older, and they'll be weaker, and they'll be regretting their words. <laughs> uh, so uh, actually, Dave is right. Higher on both counts, 84% critical and a whopping 90% audience score. So, uh, yeah. So That seems... Come on, Gav. But, like, I know maybe the audience, but you critical, that seems a little high. Come on. Come uh, on now. Not high enough for my like. Get <laughs> <laughs> it higher, right? Anyway, that kind but... of rings true to what I said earlier that maybe this is just loved by goths. Goth losers. You know? <laughs> Stop talking, man. I feel like you've already stuck the knife in. I feel like right now you're just twisting it and pouring salt into the wound. Yeah, it is shit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I, I, I mean that they're pretty high scores. Not, you know, that's a lot of people to be wrong. I, I look forward. To it. Yeah, I'd, I'll be honest. I don't see like Leonard Moulton sticking on some Depeche Mode to unwind after a tough day <laughs> yeah. at the office. You know. So. Well, I'll I'll go into it with the open mind required of the judge and um, see what happens. Yep. Thank you very much, Ozzy. And thank you very much, everybody else, for your arguments. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, if you, the listeners, enjoyed this episode as well and want to hear more Films on Trial content, check us out at filmsontrial.co.uk or on any 
streaming platform. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us. Uh, check us out on all social media as well, at Film Trials on Twitter and Films on Trial on everything else. So, Michael Wincott's season continues. Steam rolls ahead as we come directly into your ears next week with Mycott's Wincott's Mike 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 Wincott Winkle Pickers. Michael Wincott's biggest and most recent film <laughs> in Nope. So you're half right, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> let Robin Hood go, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what have we learned today? Well, <laughs> we've learned that Alex doesn't like Nirvana, <laughs> that Ernie Hudson's my dad, and that there are no such thing as bald goths. <laughs> but ultimately, we've also learned that the crow is unfortunately on the shit list and we'll be back directly in your ears in two weeks time with our trial of nope goodbye and my only other comment i'd start with was what's the relevance of it being a year like why did the crow have to wait for a full year well, you to... fucking find out if you watch the fucking film <laughs> <laughs> but, but i get i get that but that's why i was that's all of it as far as i got to was that and then <laughs> It's like watching Titanic and be like, what's the relevance of it going back in time? <laughs> 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 That's the point of all of this.